Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Bracken. You're listening to Kings Alaska podcast. I hope the word encourages you and you get a touch from God that brings transformation and equips you to experience life with people, power, and purpose. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the word. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Friend, I've got to tell you, the longer I serve Jesus, the more in love I am with him. All the bells and whistles, they just fade. Just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. All the glitter, all the glamour, just give me Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many sense his presence here? My God, he is here. Thank you, Lord. Before you're seated, look at your neighbor. Let him know. Say, he's here. Come on, tell him. He's here. He's here. The king is here. And you may be seated. Hallelujah. Oh, bless the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. I don't know about you. I don't like dead religion. I don't like to just have church just to have church. I don't like a form of godliness that denies the power. The Apostle Paul said from such people, run away. I like the power of God. I like Jesus. I like His presence. I like His transformation. Amen? How many like His transformation? Well, that's good. Not many people do. I'm glad you do. Praise the Lord. He brings transformation. He brings life. Thank you, Lord. Well, my wife and two boys send greetings from Nome, Alaska. I don't know the, the last time maybe you've even seen me or my wife or my children, but my boys are growing up. Aiden's 15 years old. He's taller than his mother. He knows he ain't tougher than his father. They're good kids. They have a heart for Jesus. My son, Aiden, has had a call in his life since he was a young boy. He came out of a kid's ministry. Thank God for kids' ministers. He came out of a kid's ministry up in Fairbanks one time. We were up there visiting. And he comes out and he gets in the car. He says, Mom, Dad, I'm going to be a preacher one day. And he's like five or six, you know. I said, you know, people know I'm a preacher. You know, I said, did somebody tell you that you're going to be that? No. Nobody said to you that one day, you know, you think you might want to preach the gospel? Nope. Nobody mentioned that to you at all. No. So what makes you say you want to be a pastor or a preacher one day? God told me tonight. And he was like five, maybe six years old, and I've watched over the years. And just last week, somebody was passing through Nome, and we were talking, and they said to my son, Aiden, they said, so what do you want to be when you grow up, Pastor? He hasn't wavered from it. He's 15, still striving for the call of God that's on his life. Amen. Amen. And uh, he's got a heart for God. My son, Wyatt, he's, uh, he's got a heart for God as well. He's... Uh, He's something else, that boy, I'll tell you. But we love him. We love our kids, and God's, God's hand is on my boys. And that's, at the end of the day, does anything really matter? I mean, 
as a father, as a pastor, as a preacher, a husband? I mean, does anything really matter other than seeing your kids grow in the favor, the knowledge, and the wisdom of the Lord? I mean, so they send their greetings. For those of you who don't know who I am, uh, you might be fortunate. No, I'm just kidding. No. I, I, I'm born, bred, redneck Pennsylvania, rural Pennsylvania. I was raised in a Christian uh, family. I knew the Lord as a young boy. Even at, I can think back to when I was 10, 11 years old, in the fire of God all my life at 10, 11 years old. I remember being in a tiny little church in the backwoods in Appalachia, Pennsylvania, you know, back in the hills of PA. When I say redneck, man, I grew up redneck. Daddy was a logger, truck driver. We lived in a trailer. I mean, those were good days. Deer hunting, praise the Lord. But I remember even as a young boy being used by God at 10, 11 years old. I remember being in church and just compelled to go to the altar and start praying for people, Pastor Barry. At 10, 11 years old. And they'd start falling out under the power at 10, 11 years old. Chain of events in my life caused me to turn my back on God. Hard to believe experiencing that kind of grace at such a young age, but I drifted from God. Listen, if you're here tonight and you're a prodigal or maybe you've drifted and you don't even know why you're here tonight, come home to Jesus. I came home to Jesus after six, almost seven years of hard running. I mean hard running, man. God saved me when I was 19, delivered me. I knew that when I was 12 years old, God spoke to me at a youth camp. How many know God still speaks? He called me that night to preach the gospel, and He told me exactly what Bible college I was supposed to go to as well at 12 years old. So when I got my life recommitted to the Lord and got things right with God, it was not long after that, the Lord called me into the ministry again, and He said, it's time. Within probably six months of my salvation, I, I was a man coming home when the sun came up daily, <laughs> running around hard, and uh, God said to go to Bible college. That, how many know that's quite a shift? We talk about spiritual shifts. That's a shift. And, uh, and then I had a curfew at Bible college that said you had to be in your room at 1030. I said, where, where did I, what planet did I fall in on? But uh, it was there at Bible college, God began to speak to me. He gave me three visions in the night about Alaska. This is 20-some years ago. It's hard to believe it's been over 20 years ago. Three supernatural visions in the night. I don't know if you know that your Bible declares to you in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, that upon the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. Dreams and visions are actually a byproduct of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The psalmist said your, your, your heart doesn't slumber when you sleep. Your heart instructs you in the night, the Bible says. The Spirit of God connects with your spirit even when you're sleeping. Dreams and visions in the night. Now, some dreams and visions are just bad pizza, let's be honest. Amen. <laughs> but some of those are from the Lord. And I had three specific visions in the night about Alaska. Well, he said, how do you know it was about Alaska? Because I heard the audible voice of God say, Alaska, and he'd wake me up. It would wake me up. The word Alaska would wake me up. Man, this is encouraging me, just sharing this with you. 
Hallelujah. Just encouraging just to know I'm in the land that God had called me to. Alaska. Now wake me up. And it was within that week after three visions in the night, I found myself on an altar after hearing a missionary from Mexico preach on the call of God and how God has a specific assignment, specific plan for your life. And I knew I was called to preach the gospel, but I didn't know anything beyond that. And I told the Lord, I said, God, I want to know what you have for my life. What more is there other than just being a preacher? I felt like something was missing. And I told God that day, I don't know if there's an altar call. I remember sitting in that sanctuary. I said, I don't know if there's an altar call. I don't care what any other student does. I'm going to the altar, and I'm not moving today, God, until I hear from you. Willing to wait hours if necessary. I was not going to move until I heard God. I got on my knees, and I began to pray at that altar. An altar call was given. I was willing to wait five hours. Five minutes went by, and the, and the Lord showed up. And he spoke to me, and he said, son, your whole life I've been training you for something, and you haven't even known it. And he said, Alaska. And once again, I said, Alaska? God, what in the world's in Alaska? And it was 20 years ago. I took my first trip to Alaska. Actually, 19 years will be June. My wife and I got married in June 19 years ago. Praise the Lord, we're still married. Hallelujah. Still in love. Hey. <laughs> it's good stuff. But 19 years ago, right after marriage, I came to Alaska for a month to search out the call of God, literally walking through places that I had seen in the night six months before that I had no idea even existed, and knew that God was calling me to this great state, this great land. And in the village of Imanic, where those pictures played out, Long story short, we would end up serving the Lower Yukon for 10 years, living there for seven years, seeing a church come alive, a, a pastor from a Luckinuck installed and still serving the Lower Yukon region. We still go back to the Lower Yukon region, still minister there. From there, God would send us to Palmer, ended up living in Palmer for about 18 months as I was traveling full-time in the Lower 48 and all across Alaska as well. Pastor Daniel Bracken was my pastor. I love your pastor. He was my pastor. Amen. I'm glad you love your pastor. Hallelujah. And I was coming back from the village of Point Hope, and I was preaching in Point Hope, and as I was resting in Kotzebue, the Lord came with another vision in the night. I thought that I'd be traveling full-time in evangelism and traveling the globe full-time for the rest of my days, and God visited me in the night, and he said very clearly without the details, he said to me very clearly, he said, son, it's time to go back out west again. I thought, I thought, Lord, I feel like I'm just getting my wheels going here, you know, 18 months into this, preaching like a maniac. We went and we searched out the call of God in Nome, Alaska. There was a building, building in disarray. There was a handful of people left. And I went to just simply search out, God, is this the place you're calling me? And I stood in that fellowship hall and I said, Lord, I'm looking at the property. There's broken windows. There's things that need fixed up. I said, God, I'm not a contractor, I'm a preacher. <laughs> and he gave me a vision and he gave me a plan on how to fix the property up, what he would do to revitalize that church again and touch the region again with the glory of God. And, I, and it was simply out of the vision. If he gave me the vision, obviously he's called me. <laughs> so we went. We've been there now for nearly eight years. January will mark a full eight years. We have seen now, true story, I told God that day, I could spend a million dollars, Lord, just fixing this place up. To this date, we have spent 
nearly $400,000 just to fix the property up. Everything is paid in full to the glory of God. We owe no man nothing. Hallelujah. Three years ago, the Lord challenged us to take on the village of Shaktulik. If somebody said God had a church there, a building, no work, no pastor, nothing happening for 13 years. And I said, God, I'll go. I was, true story. Do we have time for this? Is this okay? I, I know we're going to preach in a moment. I try to encourage you. God's at work in this state of Alaska. Though you're not seeing it because you're here in Alaska, God's doing something. Or you're here in Wasilla. God's doing something in this state. I don't see what he's doing here. I see what he's doing out there. So I look forward to hearing the stories of the building and the property and everything God's doing over there on that hill. I saw it driving in. Praise God. It's beautiful. I told the Lord I was in Fitchburg, Massachusetts, and I was there, and I said a special offering was being taken and I, for a, a, an evangelist friend. And the individual taking that offering, and said, whatever you're asking God for, write it down on your envelope because he'll give you the desires of your heart. I said, Lord, I'm asking you for an increase of money. Some of you are like. And then I put, so I can preach the gospel and fly and travel freely in western Alaska. Submitted an offering, literally. I get back to Nome within like two or three days. Somebody says, I want to sit down and have breakfast with you. They've never darkened the doors of our church. As long as I've been there, they sit across the table and they said, listen, you truly love our people, don't you? I said, sure I do. He goes, anybody that would spend this amount of time in this region truly loves our people. He says, I've got some money that's come in on investments, and we feel led of the Lord, and we're taking $10,000 over to the Bush Plain Company, hallelujah, for you to travel and share Jesus all across the region. You can't make this stuff up, Pastor Barry. Lord, I want an increase of money so I can travel freely and preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And literally within three, four days later, someone sits across and says, I'm putting an account at Bering Air for you to travel and preach the gospel freely. So from there, I would preach Sunday morning and just get on a bush plane, fly to Shack Tulik and preach the good news. First service there, people dry heaving up devils. Come on, people getting saved, people getting healed, and the work of God began from there. Hallelujah! And we need a fresh wind of the Holy Ghost to come on Shaq Tulik. As soon as I leave Wasilla, as soon as I leave this week and I get back to Nome, Alaska, I'm there for a day and then a team of eight people go into Shaq Tulik. And we're putting on brand new roofs on the church, on the parsonage. Come August, new siding, new windows, new doors, an entire new foundation of posts and pads. The whole church is getting a facelift and remodel. Everything's paid in full to the glory of God. Hallelujah! You can't make this stuff up. God's moving. We have great pastors there, Jen and Levi Cross. They are phenomenal people. We love them. They love the people of Shaktulik, truly called by God. You know, it's amazing. The steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. It was literally probably 15 years ago I met Levi for the first time, a young kid in Master's Commission up in North Pole. And he says to me, I'm called to Shaktulik. I said, yeah, that's nice, you know. And then God, 15 years later, would order our steps to come into alignment together to see a move of God in Shaq Tulik. Praise God. How am I ready for the word tonight? I just wanted to share some of that. Was that all right? I want to encourage you because the power of God, my goodness, 
What he's doing in this house of worship, what he's doing on that hill, on that building, what I seen driving in. I mean, those windows, I just, I saw it. I'm like, glory to God. I couldn't help but shout coming into Wasilla today. What he's doing in Shaktulik, what he's doing in Nome, what he's doing in other areas of this state. I can't help but think Jesus is about to return, and we're about to see the greatest harvest of souls the kingdom has ever reaped in this great land. Praise God. Pastor Daniel texted me before I came, and he said, would you talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And I said, absolutely. Would you take some time and believe God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit? How many know we're coming up on Pentecost next Sunday? The day of Pentecost where we celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the, uh, the church in the upper room when the 120 were baptized in the Holy Ghost with tongues of fire as a mighty rushing wind blew in there and they stumbled out of the upper room. And as they come out of the upper room, they were mocked and they said, these, these men are drunk. But Peter stands up and he preaches. He says, these men are not drunk as you suppose. Can you say praise the Lord? We celebrate that on Pentecost Sunday. And I want to talk to you this evening specifically about one dimension of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the fire of God. I don't believe it was by chance Pastor Daniel texted me because it was literally just a few weeks ago. How many know my sheep know my voice? God still speaks to his children today. Despite what maybe some false prophet you saw on social media, I'm here to tell you, God still speaks to his children. He still speaks to holy men and women of God. And I heard the Spirit say just a few short weeks ago, don't miss this, my people, my church, must know that my fire is not imagery. He said to me, my fire, the fire of God is not something that is metaphorical. That the fire of God is not just something that is symbolic to what we tie to in the natural realm, all oh, the fire of God. And the Lord was beginning to reveal to me that my church is beginning to just buy into the fire of God being something of just a cliche in the church, something of just something we just attach on, uh, on to the, the fire of God. But I am here to tell you tonight that there is a tangible manifestation of the fire of the Holy Spirit that comes upon a believer and fills them to overflowing. Hallelujah. And it's just as real as the air I'm breathing. Jesus said, excuse me, John said concerning Jesus in Luke chapter 3 verse 16. John answered them. The people were, were, were reasoning in their hearts about John whether he was the Christ or not. Is he the Messiah? Is he the one to come? But John makes it clear. He says, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming. Somebody say his name, Jesus. Whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to loose. Church, get this in your spirit tonight of what John said. He will baptize, baptizo you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Someone say fire. 
Verse 17, his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. Once again, I sense the Lord speaking to me just a few weeks ago that his people, his church needs to understand. They need to recognize that the fire of the Holy Spirit is not some metaphorical imagery, not just some symbolic thing that we attach that it's the fire of God. The fire of God is the tangible manifestation of the person and the power of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God Himself coming down upon this earth as Jesus ascended and filling us to overflowing. The fire of God. Oh, church, we need the fire of God in this last day. I'm here to tell you tonight that the fire of God and the baptism of fire is an experience. Well, how many know it's not all about experiences? And the baptism of the Holy Spirit in fire is a supernatural experience for you and for me and for Pastor Daniel and for all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a secondary experience to salvation that empowers the believer's life to do great exploits for the kingdom of God. We need the power of God. We need the fire of God. The baptism of the Holy Spirit in fire is when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, comes in you, fills you, bursts out through you. Hallelujah. And John the Baptist said that this baptism of the Holy Spirit would be that of fire. Somebody say fuego. That's for the one watching from Mexico tonight. Someone will say fuego de Dios. The fire of God. The baptism of the Holy Spirit in fire, the first thing that it will do for you is it will separate you. Some will say separation. This is a dimension of the fire of God that we don't talk a whole lot about, but there's a dimension in the baptism of fire that John refers to. It's very interesting to me that he speaks of the baptism of the Holy Spirit of fire. And the very next verse he says, his winnowing fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor, and he will gather the wheat into his barn. Someone say the winnowing. The winnowing process. Don't miss this. It is the exact point in the sifting of wheat. The wheat has already been threshed. The wheat has already been beaten on the stock. The wheat has already been kind of loosened up the chaff around the grain. But the winnowing process is the exact moment in the sifting of the wheat that separates the grain from the chaff. It is the moment when the one who is doing the sifting, either by shovel or by hand, at the threshing floor, they take the grain and they throw it straight up into the air, and the chaff has already been loosened from the grain, and just the slightest breeze begins to blow away the chaff. And the grain which is heavier falls straight to the ground, and that which remains is pure grain. Are you catching what I'm pitching right now? 
We don't talk a whole lot about the fire of the Holy Spirit in this dimension of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But one thing that the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire will do for you, it will begin to separate you from the rest of this world. It will separate you from worldly practices. It will separate you from worldly pleasures. And it will separate you from worldly principles. I tell you, I came to preach tonight. The baptism of fire is a fire that separates. Turn over to Luke chapter 12 very quickly. Luke chapter 12. Some will say separation. I've come to tell you tonight the baptism of the Holy Spirit in fire is not just so you can feel something. It's not just something for you to experience and maybe have goosebumps and, and, and oh, I felt God. No, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in fire is the tangible fire of God coming down upon the believer's life, filling their spirit to overflowing. And as the spirit gives the utterance, they begin to speak in heavenly languages. Tongues of angels, not of men. Hallelujah. And that baptism of fire. Pastor, why do I need it? Why do I need this fire? Because in this last hour before the soon to return of Jesus Christ, wake up. We are slipping further and further into depravity. This world is slipping further down a slippery slope and you have to separate yourself from it. You have to separate yourself from worldly principles, worldly pleasures, hallelujah, and worldly practices. And the fire of God will burn away the chaff in your life, hallelujah, so that all that remains is him. Are we good tonight? Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 49, he said, I came... Don't miss this. To send fire on the earth. What did Jesus come to do? That word fire in the original language, it's like lightning fire. (laughs) One of the greatest problems in the American church, if you want my opinion, is that we've got a whole slew of people that believe in Jesus, but they've never tasted and seen how good he is with his fire. (laughs) I I, I sit back sometimes as a pastor, Pastor Barron, and say, they just don't know. How can you fault someone if they don't know, (laughs) right? I remember traveling church to church, and I'd meet some pastors, and and they would say to me, man, how how is this working for you? My God, did you see it? I mean, what are you doing? That's there. And, and they just don't know. They don't understand. There's a tangible fire of God that we can encounter, friend. Jesus himself said, I came to send fire on the earth, lightning fire on the earth. So tell me, what did Jesus come to do? We know he came to destroy the works of the devil as well, praise the Lord. But he came to send fire on the earth. 
And he says to, to the people, he says, and oh, how I wish it was already kindled. It's with an exclamation point. Christ is was so passionate as he's saying this, so passionate. I wish the fire of God would just fall. But he understood something. He understood that he had to first die on the cross. He understood that he had first to rise from the grave and ascend to the right hand of God so that the helper could come. The Holy Spirit could then come down upon this earth. He understood that it was not yet the time for the fire, but his heart longed for it. His heart longed to pour out the fire of God. Don't miss this. This is why John the Baptist said there's only one man coming. There's not two. There's not three. There's one. His name is Jesus. Don't ever forget this. Christ himself sovereignly holds in his hand, sovereignly holds in his hand, the power and the authority to pour out the Holy Spirit upon you. Nobody else. John the Baptist didn't say one day you'll get to Casey Wasilla and there'll be a pastor who looks a little bit like Pastor Daniel. Don't let the hair do. Come on, fool you. Amen. Praise the Lord. He looks like Pastor Daniel. He's a little radical like Pastor Daniel. John the Baptist didn't write just, you know, there's going to be a day. It's going to be a nice warm day and there's going to be another man who comes. No, there's one man who came, who died on the cross, who rose from the grave with all authority and power, and who's seated at the right hand of God right now, making intercession for you. So when we tap into that spiritual rock, which is Christ, we begin to drink from that rock because he's saying, oh, Father, give them the Holy Ghost. Oh, Father, give them the fire that you have. Hey! I'm going to preach myself into the fire tonight. He's interceding right now. Make no mistake about it. Jesus is right now at the right hand of the Father. And he's saying, oh, Father, help Pastor Austin. Help him give that word. Oh, KC down in Wasilla. I want them to experience the baptism of the fire of God. I'll never forget. I was praying one day and I... Thinking about Christian circles that deny the fire. Get the wet blankets out. Let's put that fire out. That's, that's too much. Well, that's of the devil. Are you with me for a moment? You do not know how blessed you are to have a Casey Wasilla and a Pastor Daniel who believes in the authority of Jesus, the fire of Jesus. Hallelujah. You have no idea, friend, how blessed you are to be a part of an organization that still believes in the gifts and the moving and the power of the Holy Ghost, that still believes that at any moment, at any time, Jesus can come into the room. It's a rarity. I began to think about it one day, and I was praying. I said, Lord, these people that deny the fire, these Christian churches and circles, they deny the fire. And he said to me, he said, for them to deny my fire, they, de they deny Christ himself. To deny the fire of God is to deny Christ himself because he longs to baptize you. He longs to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. That's what he came to do. 
So to deny his fire and his tangible manifestation of his power and his presence and his glory, to deny those things is to deny Christ himself. Because he himself holds the power to baptize in the Holy Spirit in fire. You say, well, pastor, I have a prayer language. Praise the Lord for that. There's an old saying in the church for centuries now, we're leaky vessels, man. We got to get filled back up. We've got to encounter the power time and time again. Sometimes there's some worldly principles that try to creep back in. You may have been baptized in water and the old man went down, but sometimes he sticks that dirty hand up out of the water and he comes looking for you again. And those worldly principles, those worldly practices, those worldly desires, they try to attach itself back to you again. And we need to come under the fresh baptism of fire again that says, oh God, don't let me compromise. Oh God, keep me ablaze for you. And when that fire comes again and he fills you again. He burns away the chaff as the winnowing fan is in his hand. I know I'm not preaching to anybody tonight. Nobody here has chaff in their life. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I can think of about 1,800 pastors right now that need the fresh fire of God to burn away some chaff. We need some real men and women of God in this last day in America. Wherever you're watching from online, we need some real preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need some real prophetic voices. We need some John Wesleys. We need some people who are full of the fire of God, who know the tangible, manifest glory of God that can deliver the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. Someone say, thank you, Jesus. This fire will separate you. It will separate you from chaff. It will separate you not just from the worldly pleasures and desires in your life. Hear me, friend. It will separate you from those who carry worldly desires and principles and pleasures in their life. Let me prove it to you. Jesus said, I came to send fire on the earth. Oh, how I wish it was already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with. This was his baptism of death he was speaking of. But this fire, he says, he goes, I'm distressed and I am till it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, Jesus said, but rather I came to bring division. Someone say separation. From now on, five in one house will be divided. Three against two. Two against three. Listen to this. Father will be divided against son. Son will be divided against father. Mother against daughter. Daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. Daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. That's a whole lot of division. Well, I thought Jesus came to restore homes, Pastor. I thought he came to restore families. I thought he's a healer. I thought he's a God of love and peace and joy. I thought he wants love in our homes, and absolutely he does. But the fire that he's speaking of, he's talking about the fire of God, that when it comes upon a believer's life, it would begin to separate them from the chaff of this world, whether it be the ones closest to them, whether it's a father, whether it's a mother or a mother-in-law, those that 
that are even closest to you, God may begin to separate from your life because you have the chaff of worldly pleasures removed from you in the fire. You have the, 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 the sinful desires of your life. They're no longer there. And even if mommy has it, even if daddy has those worldly pleasures, oh, I'm not going there because I pledge my allegiance to the lamb. Hallelujah. Are you catching this, friend? The fire of God separates us. It brings a distinction. Even so much to where it may turn daughter against mother, mother against daughter. A separation. I remember I was on a plane not, well, a few years ago now, coming into Alaska, sitting beside a a younger girl who was on a mission trip to Alaska. I began to talk to her about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And she says, well, Mama says, <laughs> I said, Mama, don't know everything. <laughs> Taste and see that the Lord is good. My Mama says, that's of the devil. <laughs> Mama don't know everything. Friend, I'm here to tell you, there's a fire Be honest with me tonight. How many here, you've actually have come into contact with this fire I'm speaking of in a tangible way? Look at these hands all over the place. I encountered the fire of God one day. It supernaturally took a tumor out of my knee. I hit the floor, laid six feet from where I was standing under the front rows. I have no idea how I got there. I heard the audible voice of God when I hit the floor, audible, like I'm speaking now. Well, I think I heard God. No, I heard the audible voice of God. I got off the floor, and I shook for at least 24, maybe 48 hours. I could not stop shaking. There is a tangible fire. And when I got up off of that floor and I began to pray for the sick and began to see miracles instantly because the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it empowers your life for ministry. It empowers your life on this earth to bring heaven to earth. Hallelujah. And you need the fire of God. That's just one encounter. When I was baptized in the Holy Ghost, I'll never forget it. And it brought a separation. It brought separation in the time that I needed separation the most. I was the first one drunk at the party. I was someone who was running around hard. I couldn't get away from the, being a weekend warrior, if you know what I'm talking about. I couldn't break free from the scene. And I was saved and I was struggling. And the call was pulling me back to the things of the world. My friends were pulling me back. Come on, man. You could be the designated driver, man, you know. We need a, de we need a designated driver. Okay, I'll be the designated. That don't work, friend. That don't work. And I was in New Jersey under a ministry. He's still preaching today. His name's Bob Fisher, an evangelist. He preached on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I walked to that altar and I lift my hands. Immediately tongues of fire came on me. Immediately I was laid out on the carpet. But I got up and something was different. I walked out of that church. 
I couldn't help but look for somebody to tell about Jesus, which we're going to talk about in just a moment. I wanted to tell somebody about Jesus. In central Jersey, which I call the war zone, man, it is crazy over there. This redneck grew up in the sticks. Before church, I'm drifting through red lights. We ain't stopping. <laughs> I don't know, man. There's parts of Newark, New Jersey, Perth Amboy. It was actually in Perth Amboy where I got baptized in the Holy Ghost. Before church, we're, ro- we're, we're rolling through the red light. We ain't stopping. Windows up, doors are locked. After the fire of God, after the baptism, windows down, worship music's up. I'm just, hey, I'm looking to tell somebody about the king. You can't make that happen. You can't work that up. Let me tell you something about the fire of God. It is not an emotional frenzy that you work up. The fire of God is the person and the power of the Spirit of God himself coming upon you, filling you, flowing through you. It is not an emotional frenzy. It's God himself working in you. Someone say amen. Are you glad you came to KC on Sunday night? It brings separation. It'll even cause you to separate yourself from mama and daddy and best friends, peers, people who are dragging you down with worldly pleasures, worldly desires. Some of you, what you need the most to break free from your flesh is the baptism of fire because Jesus himself will throw you up into his winnowing fan and he will blow the chaff right out of your life when the fire of God comes. He himself will do it. It's not an emotional frenzy. It's not you thinking that you're going to do better tomorrow and you're going to perform better tomorrow. I'll get this right next week. One of these days it'll all come together. No, it is a supernatural manifestation of the fire of God that comes from Jesus alone that blows on into your life and it blows the sin out. It purifies, it sanctifies. Hallelujah. It's glorious. It's life altering, it's life changing. The baptism of fire brings a permanent transformation. Well, Pastor, how could you say it's, you know, nothing in this world is really permanent. No, no, no. I indeed baptize in water, but there's one who's coming, whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptizo you. That is the original language in the Greek. Baptizo. Say that with me. Say baptizo. Say it's not bapto. There's two Greek words, bapto and baptizo. The Greeks used the word baptizo to describe the dyeing of a garment or a piece of cloth in which the whole material is plunged in and taken out. We know the symbolism of baptism. How many of you have been baptized in water or you've seen it? Down with the old man. Randy Travis used to sing, down with the old man, up with the new. Look at your neighbor and say, he is redneck. <laughs> it, it, it's this, this symbolism, this picture of a, of, a, a, of a person that is baptized or submerged. Baptizo, the Greeks would use that word as, once again, like a dyeing of a cloth. That as a cloth is laid into the dye, it is fully submerged. 
And when the cloth comes out of the dye, that cloth is permanently changed. It will never be the same again. Here's the interesting thing. I'm just getting a little revelation, Pastor Barry. Though the cloth may fade, all it's got to do is get back down in the dye. <laughs> but one thing's for certain that cloth is never the same again. Baptizo produces a permanent change. I'm going to give you another one. This has stuck with me for over 20 years. I've studied this out 20 years ago. And you need to hear it tonight. The Greek poet Nicander. I've often said this. How many understand Greek poets would best understand the Greek language? I mean, they're poets. They're into, they're into literature. I'm the kind of guy like the Apostle Paul. I'm not here with eloquence of speech or of great swelling words of wisdom. But Paul said, I came in the power of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But the Greek poet Nicander, he knows literature. He knows Greek words. He says the word baptizo, it's like a recipe for pickles. He said first the vegetable, the cucumber, must be baptized into a boiling pot of water. And when the cucumber comes out of the boiling pot of water, he says that is bapto. The best way to describe baptizo is when the cucumber then goes into a vinegar solution. And it is baptizoed into a vinegar solution that when the cucumber comes out, it is permanently transformed into a pickle. And it can never go back to a cucumber again. Are you with me, somebody? We need the baptism. See, John said, I baptize in water. Something that's cold, something that's wet, something that's on the exterior of man. I baptize this baptism of repentance that is cold, wet, and on the exterior man, but yet he says there's one coming who knows the total man. There's one coming who knows of the mind and knows of the body, who knows of the spirit. There's one coming who will baptize you in the fire of the living God. And when you come out, you'll come out burning. You come out permanently transformed. You come out never the same. preached one night in a tiny town in Pennsylvania, and a pastor who was getting ready to retire, he kind of pulls me aside and he says, oh, I remember when I was a young burning flame like you, you'll see one day it'll die down. Now, I'll say this. In my younger years, maybe I exercised a little bit more zeal at times than I should have. A little bit more passion than I should have. But remember, the fire of God's not passion or zeal. Yes, it will spark fresh passion. Yes, it will keep you hungry for God, keep you zealous for the things of the Lord. But the anointing of the Holy Spirit in fire is not passion, not zeal. It's not an emotional frenzy or an excitement. It is the tangible manifestation of the glory of God himself coming on the believer, filling the believer, flowing through the believer. I remember hearing him say that I, I, in my spirit. I didn't say it. I had honor for the old man, you know, the old pastor. 
But in my spirit, I said, not me in Jesus' name. And I can tell you, since that day in Perth Amboy, New Jersey, encountering the fire of God, friend, I'm still here. I'm still a burning flame. I still preach like my hair's on fire. Why? Because it's the fire of God. Jeremiah said, his word is like a fire shut up in my bones. He said, I tried to hold it back, but I couldn't. Hallelujah. He had to release the word of the Lord. Somebody said in Eagle River this morning, they said, man, you're like Ray Lewis. I mean, I know, how many are Ray Lewis, the linebacker for the Ravens who's now retired? You're like Ray Lewis. You're real quiet, but, man, you get, you get behind that. But you get on the field. You're like a wild man. So, glory to God, just the fire of God. There is a fire that burns in us. There's a fire that cannot be put out. When you've been dipped in the dye of the Holy Ghost... It's permanent. It's permanent. Someone say, Jesus, help us. We need to be immersed. We need to be, uh, that Greek word means sunken ship. We need our ship to just sink on down into the fire of the Holy Ghost. Some of y'all are leaving pickles tonight. Hallelujah. Some of you are leaving a different color tonight. And this baptism of fire number three will bring propulsion. It will bring a separation. It will bring a permanent transformation. But then it will bring propulsion in your life to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ like never before. To share your faith. To stand boldly for your faith. It will propel you into this world. In Isaiah chapter 6, you find a man named Isaiah who touched something, and something touched him. And it was not something of a natural realm. It was something of a supernatural realm. It was a living coal. Someone say living. The Bible says a live coal taken from the altar. Why is it a living coal? Because we serve a living God. He's not upstairs sitting by the Father sleeping right now. So you got to wake me up so I can give you my fire. No, he's a living God who never sleeps, who never slumbers. He's just waiting for you to reach out and grab the gift. The fire of God. Isaiah touches this fire in Isaiah chapter 6. The Bible says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal. Some will say the fire. Which was taken from the tong, with the tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth with it, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. How many can see the chaff being burned up in Isaiah's life because of the fire? Come on, somebody. You still with me tonight? The chaff of Isaiah's life was sizzled out by the fire of God. And he hears a voice immediately say, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah says, 
Here am I, Lord. Send me. God says, go and tell this people. Let me say a few things to you before I go any further. The Bible says in Isaiah 6, it was in the year that King Uzziah died. Don't miss what I'm about to tell you. It was in the year of King Uzziah's death that Isaiah had a holy visitation from a holy God. And the doorposts are shaking. The angels are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And, and, and Isaiah said, I'm a dead man. Woe is me for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Do not miss what I'm about to tell you, friend. The year that King Uzziah died, the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles and, and, and the book of Kings as well, tells us that Uzziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But... He never tore down the high places in Israel. You say, what are the high places? Those were places of pagan worship. That Mount Carmel was a place of pagan worship where Elijah went against the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah. Wickedness and ungodliness taking place at these high places. Sexual perversion of all kinds. Literally, you would go and sleep with a prostitute to, to please the gods. All kinds of wickedness, uh, uh, children laid on the, the, the altar of Molech and burning hands of fire as infants would be burned up. Come on, same devil today. Are you with me, somebody? I'm not going to preach on all this tonight on Canaanite worship and Baal worship and how it correlates today, but understand this. It was in the year that King Uzziah died, God was looking to make a transition into another generation. He saw a previous generation that had compromised. He saw a previous generation that refused to tear down the high places. And God gives a holy visitation to an Isaiah. And Isaiah says, I'm unclean. I have unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of these unclean people. You better believe Isaiah's knowing about the high places. But what does God do? He brings the fire to separate, to number one, to refine. Come on, he is our God, Malachi 3. The Lord our God is a refiner's fire. His fire comes, the altar touches his lips, it refines, it purifies, sanctifies, gets Isaiah right in the sight of God, burns away the chaff. But from that point on, you never see Isaiah as a man of unclean lips ever again. You never see Isaiah going back to worldly pleasures, worldly principles, and worldly desires. In fact, what you find is him preaching against it. You find that the fire of God not only burned away the chaff in his life, not only transformed his life, permanently changed his life, it propelled his life to be the mouthpiece of God and a vessel of honor in his day. Hallelujah. Do we have any vessels of honor in the house today? Vessels of honor are what? Listen, don't miss this. The Bible teaches us that in a great house are vessels, vessels of wood and clay for dishonor, vessels of it's not by chance. Gold or silver, those are the vessels of honor that become useful for the master. 
I know I'm paraphrasing some of this, but hear me. I want you to capture the idea of what the Bible is teaching us. The concept that the Bible teaches us is that when we come under the fire of the Holy Spirit and when we're baptized and we're touched by this physical manifestation, tangible manifestation of God's Spirit and God's fire, it not just burns away the chaff, it not just transforms us, it molds us and makes us because when the gold gets refined, it's mal- it's pliable and then and then whoever's doing the refining pours it out into a brick or a bowl and makes whatever they want to make out of it and the Lord our God is our refiner and it's in the baptism in the fire of the Holy Spirit where God makes you malleable hallelujah God can begin to design you the way he wants to design you God can begin to send you into this world the way he wants to send you not the way I want to send you not the way KC may want to send you but the way he wants to send you and you become useful for the master and that fire like Jeremiah said it's like a fire shut up in my bones and it propels you to go if you know the fire just thank God for a moment for the fire of God hallelujah thank him that he still makes vessels of honor out of gold and out of silver. He still refines his people. I could keep going. I mean, we could talk about, maybe we will. (laughs) We could talk about Elijah's altar. His fire, we can talk about Solomon's altar, his fire. We could talk about Moses and the burning bush. And from the burning bush experience, he goes, hallelujah, to lead an exodus. He goes from the burning bush and to, into propulsion of what God wants him to fulfill. We can talk about the thunders and the lightnings and the smoke that ascended from Mount Sinai like a furnace. And Moses comes down with a word. We could talk about fire of God all day, all night. It's real. It's tangible. It'll wreck your life. It'll change you. It will burn away the chaff. It'll burn away worldly passions and desires so much. Even if mama can't break free, you're breaking free. Even if daddy won't break free from the drinking, you're breaking free because you know the fire. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to finish here and we're going to pray. As I was praying over this tonight and I was just talking to Jesus. Sometimes as a pastor, I've been doing this now for almost 20 years, 19 years now. And I I don't claim to be an expert. I don't claim to know it all. There are many great men and women of God of wisdom out there that I lean on, I draw from. But 20 years of pastoring kind of gives you a little bit of a glimpse of some things. And I've often looked at times of why people struggle to receive the fire of God. How many know that's a good question to ask? Why some receive, why some don't? Those are questions I've asked, and I've noticed a pattern. 
and it's scriptural as well. I've noticed a pattern with people who struggle to receive the baptism of fire that I'm speaking of. And listen, I'm not going to be the preacher who stands here tonight and tells you what to say, how to say, just speak these words. No, 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 no. I'm the preacher who says we need Jesus to show up, and we need him to baptize you himself. Because you don't want what I have. You want what he has. You don't want my anointing. You want his anointing. But I've noticed a few things. To where the fire of God is attracted. I want to attract the fire of God in my life. And I've noticed a few things that the fire of God is attracted to, number one, the undivided. The undivided. People who have made up their mind to follow Jesus. Can I talk to you as a pastor for a moment? These are some patterns I've seen over the years, some things I've noticed, why some struggle to receive this fire I'm talking about. Because they've yet to really, yes, they've prayed a prayer of confession. Yes, they're born again. But they have an undivided spirit, an undivided heart. Or excuse me, they have a divided heart. Their, their heart wants to go this way and chase after the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But yet their heart still wants to serve God. There's this division within the heart. And what God's looking for, and where he, his fire falls, he falls on people who are undivided, who have made up their mind, who have submitted their spirit, who have laid their body down as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Those who have laid it all down and denied themselves and have taken up their cross to follow Jesus Christ, more chances than not, I find those getting filled with the fire of God. In fact, let me prove it to you. It was at Elijah's altar in 1 Kings 18. Let me remind you. You go build your altars. I'll go build my altar. We'll call upon the name of God. You call upon your gods, I'll call on my... The God, Elijah says, who responds by fire, he is God. They cut themselves, the Bible says, with knives and lances. They danced around. Talked to their devils and their demons, but the Bible said there was no voice, there was no answer, there was no response. And that was the altar of a divided Israel. Don't ever forget, throughout the history of the Jewish people and of Israel, Throughout their entire history, they never, ever have forsaken Yahweh as the one true God. But what they have done is, from time to time, they've added other gods in. They've always worshipped both. One foot in the world and one foot with Yahweh. Ooh, we like Mount Carmel. Ooh. Oh, we like the drunkenness. We like all of that stuff, but we still want Yahweh. We want His blessing. It doesn't work like that. But it was Elijah who came to Ahab and said, I haven't troubled Israel you have. You in your father's house. You have forsaken the commands of the Lord to follow the Baals, the gods of this world. 
And Elijah, at that time, the Bible says of the offering of the evening sacrifice, after pouring out water pots on the altar, why is that significant? Because there's been a drought for three and a half years. There's no dew. There's no rain. He is literally, don't miss this, he is literally pouring out, I'm telling you, wealth. He is pouring out uh, something of great significance. He's coming to an altar of great cost, and he gets to that altar at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, and the Bible says, the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and licked up all the water. Get your gospel mitt out for a moment. Come on, get your gospel glove out. Catch what I am pitching right now. I have noticed through the years believers who who attend church on Sunday, put a little time in, put a little money in the plate, but their heart's divided, man. They haven't made up their mind. They haven't fully submitted to the king. Jesus is savior, but Jesus isn't king. Jesus isn't Lord yet. And when you make a decision to make the master, hallelujah, of your life, and you put him at the controls of your wheel, and you say, Jesus, take it all. I surrender. I yield myself to you, Father. Everything I have belongs to you. People that are undivided get filled with the fire of God. An undivided heart attracts the fire of God. A divided heart repels the fire of God. For the sake of time, I need to be careful how much I preach here. But Psalms actually tells us that if I regard iniquity in my heart, God can't even hear my prayers. There's transgressions, there's sins, and there's iniquities. Iniquity is the only sin that's in the heart. Iniquity is a sin of idolatry where your heart's lifted up to something else. Sin and transgressions are the moments, well, I know I shouldn't do it, but I, but I did it anyway. And then the other one, transgression, is when, oh, Pastor, I couldn't help it. It just happened. I didn't plan it. It just happened. And how many know all three get forgiven and washed by the blood of the Lamb? Sins, transgressions, and iniquities. But the Bible says specifically when the heart is divided, when the heart is lifted up to another, God doesn't even hear your prayers. Lord, I want your fire, but your heart's somewhere else. Lord, I want your fire that Pastor's talking about but your mind is wandering and drifting of where you're headed after church. If that's where your mind and your heart's wandering, you need the fire tonight to burn it all away. Just some things I've noticed as a pastor. Undivided people get filled. The fire of God fell at Elijah's altar. It was Solomon's altar. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 5, 5 through 6, the Bible says that at Solomon's altar, all the congregation of Israel were assembled before him, before the ark. They were sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered because of the multitude of them. How many say that's giving God your everything? When you can no longer count the head of cattle, you are giving God your everything. And when you get into 2 Chronicles 7, when Solomon finishes dedicating the temple and praying, the Bible says Solomon finished praying, and fire came down from heaven 
and consume the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. You tell me what preceded the glory of the Lord filling the temple. Church, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And the glory of the Lord wants to fill your temple tonight, not tomorrow, tonight. He wants his fire to come on in the inside of you and to wreck your life forever, to burn away the chaff once and for all, to bring permanent transformation and change, and to propel you into your purpose for the kingdom of God, for souls to be saved, for you shall, Jesus said in Acts 1-8, you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. It will thrust you out with power to be a witness, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Can you say hallelujah? He wants to fill you, but you must come to a place where you say as enough is enough. I'm done playing games with God. I'm not going to waver this way or waver that way. I've set my, I've set my face like flint. I've got my eyes fixed on Jesus. Hallelujah. The author and the perfecter and the finisher of my faith. I'm not looking to the left and I'm not looking to the right any longer. I tell you, you present a life like that to God, it can't help but attract his fire. Because you've just built an altar for him to respond to. Lastly, very quickly, one thing I've learned as a pastor, the Holy Spirit and fire comes upon people, not that just are undivided in their hearts, but they're unwavering in their action. They live uncompromised. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, you find the Sanhedrin commanding Peter and John, don't you ever Speak this name again, Jesus. They leave that meeting with the Sanhedrin. Now think of it. You have the chief priest, you have the Sanhedrin, you have the same group of people that nailed our Christ to the cross. They held the power and the authority to take Peter and John out, and they said, don't you ever speak that name again. And instead of cowering, instead of being a coward, come on somebody, they were unwavering in their faith in whom they belonged to. They understood that they were in this world, but they were not of this world. They understood that they were the children of God, and they go to a prayer meeting. They left one meeting, and they returned to another meeting, a prayer meeting. And this is how they prayed. They prayed with an unwavering spirit, Lord, Look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness we may speak your word. And guess what's in his word? His name is in his word. His word is in his name. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. They said, we will not remain silent, but, oh, God, give us the power to speak your word. With stretching out your hand to heal with signs and wonders that may be done through your holy servant Jesus, the Bible says that when they prayed, it attracted the fire of God. When they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And the entire people, all the people, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. 
if you're going to cower in this last day, and by the way, Revelation tells us that cowards go to hell just as much as liars. You can look it up later. Just Google lake of fire and see what's in it. You'll find cowards just as much as you find liars. Someone say, Jesus, help us. When you get a little fire in your bones and you get a little tenacity in you, and you make up your mind, I'm following Jesus. It's later in Acts chapter 5, Peter goes on to say, we'd rather obey God than man. It's that type of spirit, that type of heart, that type of tenacity for the kingdom that God meets with Holy Ghost and fire. He fills those kind of people. I mean, after all, if you're not willing to stand for Jesus in this last day, why would He fill you? The power of His Holy Ghost is to fill you, to give you the boldness to stand. Well, obviously, they don't need it, Pastor Barry. God's sitting up and well, they don't need it. They're, they'd rather be a coward. All you've got to do is just show God just a little bit of saying, Lord, I'm willing to stand for you. I'm willing to go where you send me. I'm willing to say what you want me to say. I'm willing to be moldable and pliable in your refiner's fire. I'm willing to come out as a vessel of honor molded by you. Lord, use me. God, I'm available. Lord, I'll not back down. I'll not cower. I'll be the man and the woman and the child that you've called me to be. God fills them. But those who are wishy-washy in their heart and those who are wishy-washy in their actions... It's almost like it's repulsive to God. But those who have made up their hearts and their minds to follow Jesus with their everything, God says, I meet them where they are with my fire. Well, I hope you were encouraged by God's Word. Thank you again for listening to King's Alaska Podcast. God bless you. For more great content, Go to casealaska.com and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace.